listener production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. So there's just been a little bit happening inside the $8 billion Yahoo business globally and here in Australia. The digital content and ad business announced last month it would offload 20% of its total workforce and would likely impact around half of its ad tech staff, according to some reports. Now, it got a bit fuzzy in Australia as to what was carved up and what wasn't. Global boss Jim Lanzoni told Axios last month that the layoffs were not about financial challenges, but rather a big strategic change. US telco Verizon sold Yahoo for $5 billion in 2021 to private equity firm Apollo after retreating from a grand plan to build a unified digital ad platform to compete with the likes of Google and Meta. In Australia, what we know is that there is a new management team led by Managing Director John McNerney for Australia and Southeast Asia. John and his new team are on the mics today to explain what's next and to clear up a few reports that trade titles, including those troublemakers at MI3, published about the changes in February. So joining John on the mics to unpack the future Yahoo is Zoe Cocker, Director of Yahoo Creative Studios and Premium Sales, Commercial Director Julia Edwards, and Dan Richardson, Yahoo's Head of Data. Welcome to you all, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this team because there's lots to unpack. John, let's get to this straight away with you. What happened, why, and what is the new Yahoo? Um, I think there's been lots of speculation, John, around what that is. Is it radically different? And what did those bastard journalists get wrong in the hot zone of the restructure a few weeks back? And and welcome, John. Good to have you on the mics. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. Yeah, mate, look, there's been a lot uh, written about Yahoo and speculation in market. But look, I see it as a good thing, actually. It's It's a sign that we're a relevant business. And it's actually been quite humbling to see how much affection there is for us and what we've been doing. So, Well, you've got interest, John. That's a good start, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. But the, look, the point of today is really about to give you the full picture about what Yahoo is and, and how we're changing things up. So look, Paul, yeah, we're a 30-year-old business that's evolved over the years. Uh, but what's really important to understand is we're still a leading content platform, search engine, and mail provider. And none of, none of that's actually changed. We've done over the about 30 ad tech acquisitions between Yahoo and AOL. And that strategy of ours, which was an ad business to attempt to compete against the industry offering both buy side, having the DSP and the unified stack with uh, the DSP, SSP and platforms. It was a, a huge task. And, you know, that did result in some massive wins with our world-class DSP, but What's really important was it was incredibly resource intensive and it lacked a lot of focus that really required us to build and maintain a world-class product across the full stack. So that coupled with needing to service the needs of a huge spectrum of customers across the globe, it was was a mammoth task. So we also had a very, very healthy-ish balance sheet across Australia and Southeast Asia and we, we really had to take a really hard look at the business and make the big decision to, as Jim said, refocus and prioritize where we really succeed in the most. So what I really want to stress, as you mentioned, Paul, is like around the financial, it was nothing to do with um, financial challenges or troubles in the ad market, but really instead about the 
strategic restructure and refocus globally for long-term success. We were trying to be the masters of everything, building the unified tech platform to compete against Google and Meta, but we quickly realized that changes were needed. So what are we now? Look, we're Yahoo Advertising. That's our new name. We're more focused. But what we're definitely not is another transactional vendor with a, a DSP competing against features and functions. Paul, it's about us being defined and having focus on partnerships first uh, through strategy and service. So this is just about us doubling down on investing in our market-leading DSP tech. But absolutely, we also remain committed to Yahoo's culture through ERG and CSR initiatives with Yahoo for Good and partnerships like we have with Unlimited and supporting the community. So that is absolutely us in a nutshell. And what we're doing is we're doubling down on the piece around increasing educational and consultative partnerships that navigate what is a very fragmented ecosystem. Telling me fragmented. So can we just just go quickly then, John, to what Yahoo is not anymore? So you sort of alluded to it, but you, you've done a deal with Taboola, you've offloaded or basically shuttered, really, I think, your, your SSP side, your sales side platform. Correct. So just to be really clear, what is not in the Yahoo portfolio and services now and what is? So what is not is the supply side piece of our ad tech. So rather than us do that unified stack, we're just focusing on the buy side, which is the Yahoo DSP. So all of the content that we have still remains. So right. all of our owned and operated uh, display, mobile video content, the native content, that is shifting into third-party technology and is still accessible through the Yahoo DSP. And the data that comes from our owned and operated content is still exclusive to our own DSP. And you still have, you know, big tech consumer-facing uh, tech publishing businesses, right? You, they still stay in the portfolio. They, you know, refresh me, but it, there's a whole bunch in there, right? Exactly. So you've got Yahoo Sports, Lifestyle, Finance, News. Th those are all of our major owned and operated assets. And that's where a lot of people uh, read and come to on a daily habit. And that's exactly what powers a lot of the behavioral and identity signals that power the DSP. So, John, in Australia, how big is the Yahoo audience all up? So, Paul, it's around 10 million um, Australian users that come to our properties on a monthly basis. And from those, there's about half of those that actually are logged in. And that's what powers our identity solutions, whether it be for targeting, measurement, and uh, behavioral aspects within the, the buying platform. Right. So that's the core bit, right? I mean, everything else that Yahoo does is based off your understanding and your insights and observations on what's happening to your own audience, really, isn't it? Correct, exactly. And that's what can be used as the seed within our uh, ad tech platform to understand about what they're doing online and then build that to understand what they're doing within the consumer journey. Okay, so before we get to the rest of the team on what uh, the new Yahoo looks like, there's a couple other deals that Yahoo did as well, John. It's been announced, but it's sort of uh, been reiterated. The Taboola deal, what's that about? So that's a, I think it's a 20-year uh, alliance? Uh, correct. So that's actually um, a 30-year deal. And basically with Taboola, uh, we have an invested stake in that and they are going to house the owned and operated native assets uh, for Yahoo. Got it. What's been the reaction? Before we get to the team, John, what's your overall sense on, on the response and market to the new Yahoo with the trade publishing coverage aside, of course? And you can have a crack there too. Please do. Yeah, sure. Look, it's been actually overwhelming. We've had so much support 
from all of our partners and the market in general. Yes, it was some big change, but once we're actually uh, speaking to our partners and taking them through what this news means, they're actually totally on board. They see where we've succeeded with them and how those partnerships can actually grow further. So it's been overwhelmingly positive. But yes, there have been the types of questions you're asking today about how things have changed, the dynamic of resource uh, and what we're focusing on. Right. Well, let's, let's get to the team and see what new looks like. Um, so, Julia Edwards, you're the commercial director. It's quite a different agenda, I think, um, for you now. Less transactional, I think you mentioned in an earlier conversation, and less transactional, less trading conversations, I think. But just, again, run through what the commercial remit is now, Julia, and welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here, um, Paul. And yeah, I mean, I think we've been on that journey for um, the past few years, really focusing on our core partnerships. And now more than ever, we'll be deepening that relationship that we have with our core partners who are using our creative and technology solutions on a daily basis to help them deliver amazing omni-channel campaigns across all of the digital ecosystem that we have access through through our BuySide platform. So our focus will be on those core partners and we'll still have a personal on-the-ground support for them and relationships, but we're just sharpening that focus to ensure we're delivering quality work and great campaigns that move the needle for our core partners. And when you talk about core partners, um, Julia, who are they? Are they typically more agencies or is it direct to client? How, what makes up your client portfolio? Yeah, and we'll be doubling down on our agency partnerships. It will allow us to ensure that as they evolve and they look to productize and look for opportunities to build out custom solutions that service their unique agency offering, that we're ensuring that we're really allowing them to continue to work with us in a customized way. So it will be focused on those core agency partnerships. And what does good look like? What does a good example look like uh, as to for exactly what you're talking about, Julia? Can you give us an example? You can name names or don't name names, but a scenario. I think um, some of the work that Zoe and Dan will take you through later in the podcast with advertisers like Jack Daniels, uh, Sixth, NRMA, are really the blueprints of how we want to be working where their agency groups are able to offer their unique product solution We're able to offer our unique measurements or creative services to really allow them to take advantage of the technology that we have available, um, but also those insights that um, John talked about as well, those unique insights that allow us to understand where consumers are on their path to purchase and how we can truly deliver some unique, relevant messaging that helps them to engage audiences online in a unique way post cookies. Right. And so you talk about partnerships and doubling down on that. Is there a new or an increased focus as well on a self-service component or is that sort of to the side and far off? Is there self-service happening at Yahoo? So we've already been on that journey and a significant portion of our business had moved to self-service already in Australia. We will still continue to offer customised solutions for agencies and I think being dynamic in that service model is really our USP in this market because agencies, just like 
all of us are facing periods of transitional change and therefore sometimes have the resources to be able to deliver self-service, but sometimes need to rely on a partnership to help them manage campaigns if they're going through a period of, say, onboarding a new client or um, a period where they're restaffing or growing in certain areas. So we will still offer both a managed and a self-serve relationship to our core partners, and it won't just be a pure focus on self-serve. Got it. And self-serve, uh, at least in some of your competitors, i.e. the big platforms, Google and, and Meta, self-service generally drives a lot of that small and medium-sized enterprise activity. Does Yahoo have much of that in your business or is it more sort of top-end enterprise? I think with the evolution that we've been on, as we've um, taken the steps into more premium brand awareness platforms like Digital Out of Home and Advanced Television, we've naturally transitioned to more of an enterprise-based service and are less focused on the performance end of the market, which is sort of the broader total Australian market. So that that natural evolution has happened over the past few years and we'll be doubling down on that. So if you think about our advertisers now, they're advertisers who have premium brand stories to tell rather than are just chasing performance through digital conversion tactics. Got it. And I'd love to go there because that's a big, rich territory in the, in the current environment, but we'll get distracted, Julia, so I won't. What I do want to ask, though, is what are the biggest changes you've seen on the buy side, agencies and advertisers, that's, that's sort of keeping you on your toes? Are you seeing any significant shifts in the last 12 months to this year that is of note? Yeah, and I think we're definitely seeing an increased sophistication from agencies and marketers. The technology that we have available isn't new or novel anymore. How you utilise platforms like Digital Out of Home and Advanced Television, expectations from clients are increasing in those areas. And what we've seen is the success that we can deliver in those areas is through taking a very consultative approach of them being able to utilise data like automatic content recognition, platforms like programmatic digital out of home and allowing them to really take advantage not only of the technology but the creative side of that technology as well. So there's a real appetite to put together omni-channel campaigns that actually get real measurable results across business metrics and not just marketing metrics. Got it. And before I move to your colleagues, um, what does the commercial team look like, your commercial team look like now, Julia? Because I, I may be guilty at MI3 of saying that you didn't even exist. The entire commercial team had gone. Not not you actually do, funnily enough. So what what is the composition team? How, how many are and what sort of people, what's the capabilities that, you're, that you have in there now uh, on the commercial side? Yep. So um, we've had a really unique model in market where Um, We've had phenomenal specialists like Zoe and Dan in market being forward-facing commercial experts and consults for our field sales team in market. So the commercial team is there. Where we're being more focused is to bring those specialists into the market a lot more with our core partners. Um, So we will have business partners that help us set a framework for 12 months and really understand from an agency level where their focus is and we'll connect them to the right specialists in market. 
So the commercial team will exist of what we call partner demand specialists, and they will be connected to product specialists like Zoe's team across YCS and Prem Sales, like Dan's team from a data insights perspective, and like Andrew Gilbert's team who's stepping into the product director role across Australia and SEA. Um, and Andrew Gilbert's team will be connected to our business partnerships structure. Got it. And are you are you structured? Are you aligned by agency group or by industry vertical, or how does that work in your commercial team? That, those specialists you talk about. We'll be aligned by agency group, and that will be our key recipe for success. We really appreciate the partnership and commitment that we've had from our agency partners over the past few years, and that will be core to to our success moving forward. Um, So we'll make sure that we have unique specialists that are focused on those core agency groups and partners and are servicing them in a unique way. I know I asked John this before, but again, in the commercial team context, what is your commercial team now not versus what it is doing? So what did it do before that it's different now, uh, Julia? I'd say um, where we were at is we used to be able to grow through servicing the entire Australian market. Whereas now, because of all of the amazing migrations that John referenced, because of the ability for, you know, premium sales and Yahoo Creative Studios to really see growth out of core partnerships now, our growth and our success will come out of those core partners rather than servicing the entire Australian market to deliver growth. Right, on an SSP and DSP, both sides on that one, for instance, yeah? So from a premium sales perspective and from a Yahoo Creative Studios perspective, yes, it will be focused on core partnerships. DSP will be focused on core partnerships. And then the the rest of the sort of supply, we will work like other publishers that don't have their own exchange work in, in allowing that sort of inventory to be pulled through to our buy side. Got it. Now, Zoe, you used to some doing some pretty bleeding-edge content um, at Yahoo Creative Studios. I've seen some of your the stuff you've done historically, but you've also got premium sales. Now, that may not be new, I don't know, but um, what changes now in what you're doing on the creative side regarding output and your, your remit overall? And welcome to you too, Zoe. Looking forward to hearing what's going on. <laughs> Hopefully you can hear me, Paul. Um, yeah, definitely not um, about the used to. I'm still keen to do uh, some awesome, creative, bleeding edge work. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's really good to sort of acknowledge the fact that premium sales is coming into my remit. But ultimately, um, our kind of USP in market is a complete differentiator. You know, we've been super lucky that Yahoo Creative Studios has created a standout offering for a DSP. It's a real differentiator in the ad tech space because we focus on innovative technology and unlocking those kind of hard to reach audiences. So we've spent the last two years building that capability and focusing on kind of new innovation in the ad tech space when it comes to creative messaging. That's not going away. But what will be added to the remit is a real focus on how the consumer side of Yahoo is elevating its brands. So that's our owned properties like Yahoo News, Yahoo Sport, Yahoo Lifestyle and Yahoo Finance. So they already have a really good presence here in the Australian market. 
And it's just about dialing those up as uh, the global teams really double down on a new strategy and a new focus there, but elevate it on a local local standpoint. There's a lot of investment coming in from that side. So I'm kind of excited about bringing that to, to the Australian public. Um, I'll come back to that. I just want to be clear, though, um, in terms of premium sales, and that's your remit versus what Julia and her commercial team do, what's the demarcation or difference there? For me, it's like I'm focused on making the product super sexy and and achievable for both Yahoo and our consumers. So for me, it's about unearthing the great messages, the content, the strategy, and bringing that to the right brands, right? So uh, for whether it's premium sales, whether it's ads that we're delivering through our DSP, or um, whether it's new kind of Web3 innovation or immersive technology, my job is to help brands navigate the right story, the right message, and then pull it through into those kind of three core components, really. So whether it's a big bank that wants to leverage our Yahoo Finance audience that doesn't sit behind a paywall, we will um, help them kind of navigate and create amazing brand stories on Yahoo Finance, for example. But we'll bring in the omni-channel DSP as well to find those audiences. So it's about breaking down silos telling great stories, both on platform and off platform. We're not pushing people to, you know, you have to buy only on Yahoo Finance, like a traditional branded content team. Um, we're actually unearthing the the data and the insights about where are those kind of young millennial finance audiences, for example, what are the stories that they want to tell? And then how do we pull the different levers? You know, it might be we want to come up with an avatar that is a new type of banking teller that allows you to, you know, take finance into the future. And then that's promoted across Yahoo Finance as a new service. But it's also leveraging the DSP to find those audiences that would care or need that service um, across the open internet. So really about breaking down those silos and making sure creativity is available across the whole internet. And it's interesting, isn't it, Zoe, because there's so, I'm, I'm picking up so much more talk. It's been there for a long time, but there seems to be a, a ramp up in and around content uh, from the brand side at the moment. And using content is almost a mid-funnel play to get from, you know, awareness and intent to a transaction content in the mid-funnel. Am I sort of barking up a wrong tree there or is that sort of an area of interest and demand coming from the market? Absolutely, absolutely. Content really helps with that education point. And that, that's always been the case, but it, it helps people sort of drive that decision making. So I think adding really strong voices through our O&O properties, whether it's sport, whether it's finance, whether it's news, will really help brands with that kind of credibility and pushing people through that funnel to making decisions as to, you know, what credit cards they go with, what banks they go with, or, you know, what retailers they choose to buy their, their fashion. So I know you've kind of touched on a, a really interesting example inside finance for or inside a banking example, Zoe, but where are you seeing the high interest, high demand areas for creative work? What sort of creative work is that? And what did that look like maybe a, a year ago versus today and what it might look like in 12 months? Because there's so much happening in this area, uh, even in just, you know, generative AI and, and image creation and all those sorts of things. So what was it? What is it now and what could it be? Just give me the theory of everything. I absolutely love this question because I'm so glad that the, the world of creativity continues to evolve and digital doesn't just remain stagnant and boring. Because sometimes, you know, when I came back from mat leave about two years ago, 
I came back and sort of revolutionized the studio into the studio it is today, which is kind of a focus on these next gen solutions. And it's what gave me life. It, it, it made me believe that the internet doesn't have to be a dull and boring place when it comes to creativity. Um, we can kind of get down the rabbit hole of trying to, to focus too much on where we're plugging the gaps and what pipes are connected to what. But my kind of focus is really about taking the the data and Dan and working with his team and bringing those to life in a way that actually creates digital experiences for consumers online and utilizing the pipes to create that opportunity. There's a lot of talk around, you know, delivering omni-channel messaging, but a lot of that is focused on, you know, connecting traditional to digital and, you know, collecting digital out of home to broadcast, for example, which are all really important foundations. But what I want people to focus on is, okay, how do you tell that consumer journey story? You know, how do you bring your brand to life in a way that really connects the dots and makes a, uh, a consumer feel like you know them, you understand them, um, and you're serving them something that's really powerful and relevant? So that's kind of like my ultimate focus is there's sort of the three areas, realizing the omni-channel dream, working with agencies, CMOs, marketers, and creative agencies who all have these amazing assets and really kind of being the the linchpin, the bridge that kind of ties those things together and helps them in small tweaks and, and changes to elevate their creative to actually leverage that omni-channel journey. The second being, you know, exactly what I mentioned with the, the voice of premium brands and kind of that Yahoo Finance type example that I gave and building that credibility without a paywall. But then my absolute favorite, which is helping brands navigate the digital future and really creating those stories that attract hard to reach audiences. I think, like you mentioned, there's so many new tools coming into the creative toolbox, which makes me super excited. They are getting harder and harder to understand as we get more and more technical. Um, and it's my job to really make that easy to understand and easy for CMOs to access and sort of be that one-stop shop that we're a trusted partner. You can come to us. You know that we have our finger on the pulse when it comes to innovation. I've spent the last two years understanding the future of the internet, Web3, blockchain, immersive technology, um, AI. Um, these are all amazing tools that we, that we have kind of outlaid into our future. And it's an opportunity to build better experiences online. And we're helping brands navigate that space and, and doing it in a way that's not forced environment. You know, we're not trying to build it in our own app or behind a paywall or in our own properties. We're building it for the open internet and then using So you're distributing DSP in the to, open web right across. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so exactly. you are, it's really interesting, right? You are in the sweet spot. Um, so much of our conversation in media and marketing orbits around channel and media mm. and which channels are delivering an audience that's better and so forth. But half of the sort of the load, the workload goes to the messaging and the creative, right? And we've seen lots of vanilla. We see lots of rational. <laughs> uh, what you're talking about is using, I guess, creativity to cut through and land beyond the job of a media channel to deliver a certain type of audience. Totally. Um, so this is, I guess, where the upside is. But I'm really intrigued to get your perspective on 
what we're seeing coming through in the next 12 months, it may indeed collapse the creative process and turnaround times and everything, right? Because there's a lot of tech that's going to shake stuff up. Or is it, Zoe? And I guess that's the question. How fundamental and even existential is what's coming at us in the next couple of years in terms of creativity and, and execution? I mean, for me, I've lived through the GFC. <laughs> I've lived through many a financial crisis now, um, as well as, you know, shifting and changing economics and living through Brexit back in the UK. And the number one thing that I've learned as a marketer and a creative is that, you know, the worst thing that you can do is just blend into the noise and sort of follow suit with all the other brands which rely on those really easy tools, which is, you know, oh, search works really well for me or performance works really well for me. Like those are all fundamentals to what we're doing. 100%. Table stakes, isn't it? Table stakes. I think that that is a huge uh, marker for us, which is different to every other economic time that we've all faced over the past 20 years, is that this period of economic tightening will be the time where marketers for once realise that Actually, it's about continuing to tell your story and be focused on your brand and not focused just on performance. And because we now have the tools to measure the success of brand marketing, the CFOs of the pressure that CFOs are going to be giving CMOs this year, they'll be able to answer and combat any pressure to pull back on things that don't deliver immediate sales for them with the proven measurements that you can have across ACR data, digital out of home and CTV. So I think that will be the key difference in this economic period versus every other economic period we've gone through in terms of the GFC, as Zoe mentioned. Yes, yeah, so that, that was Julia, in case you're wondering. That didn't sound like uh, Zoe, that was Julia. Um, so, And Zoe, to Julia's point, it's, it's a really good one. And, and to Julia's point, what sort of creativity uh, should we expect or be should marketers and agencies be looking at in the coming 12 months, 18 months that will give this cut through and, and the consistency that many argue brands need to do in the market in a downturn? I think if anybody sort of listens to my rambles online or um, uh, my op-eds that I do is is all about the right message for the right person. So for me, I've had a huge focus on Web3 because I think that that's where the future of the internet lies. But that's not for every audience, right? So I think it's really about investing in the, the data and the insights and understanding where those consumers are and really being brave to reach out to them and speak to them in their language. Like we've just done a huge piece of research on the future consumer when it comes to the metaverse. And it was unbelievably telling how different audiences want to be spoken to and also what they're looking at from the internet. So some people want utility. um, Some people want the opportunity to to make more money. And I think what, what we need to do is really listen to what the consumers want, what they need, the utility that they're looking for, and then serve them a creative message that really kind of drives that cut through. Be helpful, be valuable, don't pre- don't preach, don't speak to your own messaging, really kind of answer the tone of the, the cultural nuance at the moment. Um, so really highlighting those like kind of key cultural changes and then telling stories that really relate to them that are not bland, 
And immersive is a really, really great way to do that. Connecting the digital and physical and connecting, like Julia said, you know, all your omni-channel messaging and making sure that that layer of measurement is there, not doing things because that just because they're fun and exciting and getting PR headlines, but actually driving it back to true ROI and challenging that creative to make sure that it's, it's built on firm foundations of data and insight and then tracked back through measurement. Personalization is not a one-to-one relationship anymore. It's about understanding your audience, creating a custom experience that can appeal to many. And that's where we're heading is through creative studios, being able to create that custom experience. Got it. Uh, Zoe, one more question for you before we get to that is you sort of touched on it, but what are a couple of campaigns that are benchmarks that the industry should aim for that that are in market now or coming or that we can reference? So, uh, Paul, I'll give you a little bit of an expose. (laughs) This is a little bit ahead of our PR launch, but I think a really nice example of summarizing exactly the way of working that Jules has been talking about, about John and also my creative uh, tech and my YCS and Prem sales department is a campaign that, or I should say a relationship that we've developed with Jack Daniels. Right. So we were really, really lucky to win Open Pitch with Starcom last year. And that was an opportunity to come in and get deep with a client um, and their kind of customer challenges. And they really lifted the lid, showed us, you know, what the brand challenge was what their consumer insights were. We were able to go away with Dan, match that to all of our consumer insights and really elevate this sort of new type of user that was emerging because Jack Daniels have a huge affiliation with music. A lot of that is kind of sponsoring brands or or live events. And we wanted to bring that into the new world and attract a new next gen audience because Gen Z and Jack Daniels is a huge uh, kind of focus for them. So we took those cultural insights, we took everything that we were working on in the emerging digital landscape, and we're actually building them a Web3 built experience that's launching at the beginning of April, which will allow users to actually reconnect with music, actually own music for the first time in a really long time. So, you know, we're so used to things like Spotify and the radio. We don't own music anymore. We don't buy vinyls or CDs. We're going to use blockchain technology to actually drop exclusive tracks for three Australian brands in and around um, Australia nationally. And consumers will be able to go out and collect as well as win opportunities to go to a Jack Daniels distillery or even drive trial in store through vouchering. So that amazing elevation of digital and physical and really getting deep with a brand and partnering with them for kind of six months to bring this to life is kind of that show of transition of how we're you know, working with partners, how we're creating amazing storytelling. It's all going to be open internet. It's all going to be serviced through um, an omni-channel media campaign that we've built with Starcom that includes digital out of home, mobile, display, and will help kind of drive that, that digital pickup of this amazing experience, treasure hunt type experience that we're building. 
Great example. And I guess what you're saying is that sort of thinking and approach can be applied to any company in any sector, right? It's just not sort of cool hip brands like, well, I don't know if they are cool. They are to me. I'm old though. Jack Daniels is still uh, premium <laughs> to me. But, um, but those, applying to other sectors, right? You can work for a bank as well, just different uh, executions. 100%. Like this experience was built one from the ground up based on, you know, key challenges that Jack Daniels were having where they wanted their audience growth to come from and the fact that they have this huge uh, proliferation in music, we were able to kind of utilise these tent poles and then kind of elevate them into the future. Um, and you could do that for any brand, you know, whether it was finance, whether it was insurance, uh, whether it was retail, it's all just about kind of understanding the consumer cultural insight and then building from that. And that's why I'm so grateful that everything that I can do is, you know, open internet built by this amazing uh, piece of tech that allows us to target consumers wherever they are. And in an, a true omni-channel sense, it means that I can drive the eyeballs to that experience and they're the right eyeballs. Got it. Really interesting. Dan, we're going to have to get moving. Um, and, and it's sort of last but certainly not least, you're in the hot zone, right, around data. Uh, there's so much happening there. Uh, where is your focus now, Dan, and, and how do you dovetail with what the rest of the team is doing? And is your role and what you do actually change that much, even as the strategic shift in the business has gone somewhere else? I imagine sort of you underpin a lot of this anyway, right? Yeah, definitely last but uh, not least, um, Paul. I, yes. I think uh, you're right. It's, it's, uh, the data is really uh, holding up. I think we've, we've got a bit of a a data El Nino coming uh, in Australia, hmm. but look for for Yahoo, our consumer strategy remains the same. You know, great content, commerce, and experiences for people. But for business partners, uh, you will start to see some changes. And the first is we're bringing consumer insights research uh, together with online targeting behaviors and measurement. So you ask what's changing in my team and my role. We're we're bringing that together, which I think makes sense. Uh, looking at not just what people do online, but also what they say they do uh, through things like surveys and research. So that was separate before, Dan, Consumer Insights was run somewhere else. A little bit separate, yeah. So we're bringing that team together, in fact, growing and and strengthening uh, that team. And the second change is you'll see that our identity solutions will be available across the industry's top supply-side platforms, so reaching more publishers uh, than ever before, uh, which is a bit of a change. Uh, You you might remember John was talking about our supply-side platform and a new focus there, um, where we'll actually be taking our ID solution to the top SSPs outside of the Yahoo environment and working with them more closely, which means that advertisers can maximise audience reach and scale across more supply and ultimately deliver better experiences uh, for consumers. But Yahoo DSP advertisers will still have exclusive access to our ID solutions that power every aspect of their campaign lifestyle. So to explain what that means, our identity approach is an integrated one. We have Yahoo Connect ID, which is our solution for addressable inventory. So in other words, people who we know, deterministic, logged in, those types of buzzwords, but we're reaching 335 million logged in users globally. And we have that direct relationship with consumers through our properties. And then the growing part of the internet, where we don't have an ID, those non-addressable environments, uh, that's where our next-gen solutions uh, come in, which are actually uh, running based on anonymous data signals alone, which is pretty innovative. But privacy really is, is at the core element of that, and the Yahoo Connect ID can only be decrypted by the Yahoo DSP. 
Now, third-party supply sides will act as a pass-through. I'm getting a bit technical here, but it's really No, no, but some of us need this. Yeah, it is. It's important, even though yeah. um, I, I'm working hard to keep up with you. We're making just making it clear that we're, we're going to be more flexible and working with mm. um, other supply paths as well. And these elements really dovetail into every aspect of the campaigns and results and big ideas uh, that Julia and, and, and Zoe were talking about, whether it's in the demand side platform or creative studios and, and, and their strategy. Got it. And I think a, a really good way to flesh out uh, what you're talking about, Dan, is uh, some examples. So again, a couple of benchmark examples of how brands, marketers uh, or agencies are doing data smartly with Yahoo and the results. Got anything there that um, can point to what is to come? Yeah, for people who are listening and thinking I'm, I'm a publisher, identity solutions like Connect ID are, are really helping with fill rate. We saw a four times increase uh, fill rate on cookie-less browsers, so Safari and Firefox for publishers like uh, Realtor.com. Uh, we've also seen a great uplift in conversions on cookie-less browsers uh, for retailers. And on that non-addressable side, you know, where, where we don't have an ID, our next-gen audiences, we're seeing about 39% average increase in reach and 26% average lower eCPMs, uh, which is great. But um, I think what really completes that picture is the story for brands. So we're really proud of the work we're doing uh, with brands such as Sixt, the car rental company, uh, in collaboration with uh, partners like JC Deco, Spark Foundry, and, and Near. And um, why we're really proud is that we actually started in a very different way. We started by matching JC Deco's out of home audience with Yahoo's first party data to get an understanding of six consumers. We activated those offline audiences across digital. And then we helped six manage uh, the consumer journey through out of home and their whole omnichannel campaign. But the end result was that we were able to see 35% uplift in people who were more likely to go to a, a sixth outlet. But you know, bringing that all together, the, the genesis was actually data and insights from the brand, but also an out-of-home provider like JC Deco. Right, uh, right. So some great results there and big ideas as well. No, interesting. And, and more. that's what you want to see more of, right? Um, quick thought, down on um, on the regulatory front. We've got the Attorney General's review, which in basically is all but uh, all but going to – they're going to decide what happens there now. What's your hunch on what happens, how deep this change might go and what the implications are for industry and capabilities? Well, I think let's let's look at the situation. I've I've seen or heard data described in a few different ways in the past few years, Paul. Asbestos, I think you like or don't actually. The first was data is the new oil, which was a bit of a, yes. a gold rush um, approach, and then um, data is the new asbestos. Um, recently, in, in in your publication, which I think speaks to more around the risk compliance and maybe some of the bad data breaches in Australia recently, which no one wants to be on the the tail end of. But ultimately, it's about moving from a harvest mentality where consumer data is, is owned to privacy by design, where techs and tech and brands are the custodians of data, where we don't actually own people's data, but we own the intelligence that's applied to it. And there's a much bigger focus on good governance and data lifecycle management, which is entirely necessary and really healthy. From Yahoo's perspective, we're working really closely with the IAB and our peers to provide feedback on the reform. We do agree that a modern framework is required for how organizations like us uh, define, collect, store, and use consumer data for advertising. However, we want to make sure that 
there's a thriving digital economy and that continues. And if the definitions of targeting or personal data uh, are too broad or don't capture the nuances of our ecosystem, then we actually risk throwing the baby out with the bathwater and, and further fragmenting the consumer experience there. Because we, we've, we've worked really hard to build up um, some improvements. So there's a lot to consider. We're really working on future-proofing advertisers and publishers' businesses while respecting consumer privacy. We're, we're considered a top player when it comes to identity, and that's for a, a couple of reasons. The first is that we're the only direct-to-consumer ID solution in market. So when I say direct-to-consumer, that's a direct engagement, one-to-one, with how the data is collected, stored, and, and given consent. People coming to our properties, we're not operating. I was going to say, because of your audience, because of your direct access to building audience with your own content, yeah? Yeah, that's right. So we're flexible and we, we work with industry IDs, but we're not an industry ID solution. We're not a consortium model. The second is on privacy by design. Uh, so a couple of years back, we said to our engineers, what about all of these anonymous data signals that uh, are not wound up in this you know, race to replace the cookie, say with a hashed email? What are we doing with that? And we came up with our next-gen audiences, uh, which actually learns from the known or the addressable audiences, but delivers targeting based on advertising signals, which are entirely anonymous. It might be the time of day or maybe the, the type of device someone's on or even the weather, and really uses machine learning to deliver targeted advertising. But there's no fingerprinting and there's no tracking of people across devices, and we're doing that across web and app. So I think Brands and publishers are appreciating that privacy by design approach from a product level. And 50, over 15,000 publisher domains are already using uh, Connect ID, which is that, that known or addressable audience. Did you say 15,000 publishers? Did you say, Dan? 15,000 publisher domains right. uh, okay. are using that already. So we're really scaling up to help uh, advertisers you know, leverage that to execute and measure their campaigns in cookie-less environments. So a few reasons there which we're you know, really making an impact um, when it comes to, to privacy uh, and future-proofing. We've got to wrap this thing up, but one really quick grab, your thoughts on so much discussion uh, around behavioural versus contextual targeting in a new privacy, under a new privacy regime. Your sense on what, what that means, is there anything in it? Uh, I think we, we already know that things like contextual targeting are valuable. They represent about 30 to 40% of the signals which we're using for our next-gen audiences. The second is we need to have a look at this lookalike paradigm. Traditionally, you know, if you're a small to medium brand, you could build scale through lookalikes, building models of people based on cookies. We know that's not the case anymore. Cookies are being crunched. Uh, so that's where we'd really encourage looking at uh, anonymous signals, machine learning, and working within that framework um, as well. Yeah, that, and that's different smarts and capability altogether, isn't it? Hey, John, the outlook for this year is certainly uh, looking more volatile and you have visibility across um, other parts of the region as well. What does the rest of the year look like um, for the market and Yahoo and how different is it by, you know, some of those other markets you've got coverage on? Is it is it a, a broad sweep and what's happening? Yeah, sure. Look, there's no secret the economy is slowing down a bit, but we remain bullish and our partners continually keep us up to date with about flat to medium growth. It's anywhere between 5 to 7% year-over-year digital ad spend growth on that. Definitely not that uh, post-pandemic growth, but um, with that magnified lens on brands needing more uh, to measure uh, their return on investment, it really does bode well for us. And we're seeing tremendous growth uh, with channels like Connected TV and 
those examples you heard from Zoe and, and Jules around digital out of home and advanced TV and that top to mid-level funnel going down to uh, the performance aspects there. So one of the big call-outs actually across APAC is they're still predicting around 17% CAGR growth in, until 2026 for digital out of home. Um, and that's really about you know the brands leaning into the digital realm to be able to measure that success. So getting a lot of those traditional budgets as well, whether it's the TV or the digital out of the home screen, uh, screen and actually looking at the total audience uh, once they become part of the digital ecosystem. So not too bad from our outlook. Yeah, good. Okay, final watch outs, takeouts uh, from each of you. Julia, for this year, the big signal from um, Julia Edwards. Yeah, I think um, our focus is on the power of partnerships and genuine collaboration. Their things are more complex than they've ever been and no one partner has all the answers. So we'll continue to work openly with our partners to help them solve their, the problems that their clients are facing today and then create real results for them. Zoe, final thoughts? Taking those partnerships and creating real, ex- real digital experiences that are actually exciting. So there are a lot of naysayers out there around the metaverse and Web3, but I tell you, they're really sort of tracking the trends for what future digital experiences look like. And I think leaning into those next-gen experiences, like look at AI, it's all of a sudden taken off and become a buzzword in our in our industry. It's about having a real insight into what's being built online and how do we actually help our messages stand out and create cut through into these new audiences that are coming into the digital native space to stand out, make great campaigns. Uh, Here, here on that one. Give us some decent creative. It actually works. I do believe that everyone should. Dan, final thoughts. Measurement, measurement, measurement. 2023 won't be the year we crack the riddle of unified measurement, but we'll get a lot closer to creating comprehensive and comparable data. And I think, as as Julia said before, uh, we'll really see a, a big focus on business metrics uh, compared to just online metrics. That will be critical this year. Well, there's the new Yahoo, John McNerney, Zoe Cocker, Julia Edwards, Dan Richardson. Um, thank you for enlightening uninformed journalists, at least, about where the next Yahoo is going to be. Um, great conversation. Look forward to wrapping up really um, in another sort of six, 12 months and see where it's all at. And all those predictions are great creative, Zoe. Yeah. Make it happen, please. We need it. <laughs> I do my best. Thanks for joining, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Paul. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.